Hey, good morning, everybody. Good morning, Mount Zion Church. Good to see you all. And uh, thank you for being here for Sunday service. We know it's Super Bowl Sunday, but the but the game. <laughs> and Eva's dressed in her 49er red, so good for her. We're happy about that. Way to go. Way to support the home team. Um, gold. Okay, wow. Here we go. Yeah, you're you're doing it all. Guess I got my sister over there dressed in red, too, so... Uh, she's uh, dying hard. Hopefully, she keeps her Christianity during the game. We'll see. Not uh, yelling, not yelling at the TV set too much, or throwing anything at it. If the uh, wrong team wins. So anyway, let's go ahead and open up in prayer. Lord, we thank you for today, Lord God, and we uh, all things, Lord, we give praise. All things, we give thanks. We know you, and that's everything, because we'll know you now. We'll know you in eternity, Lord. And we pray for the people uh, that maybe don't know you and don't know you the way you want them to know them, Lord. We believe prayer works. We lift these prayers up to you for you to touch them, Lord. We pray for this church service today, and uh, we pray for Brother uh, Dennis when he gives the word, Lord God, that the words flow out of him. We pray for worship, Lord God, and we just pray during this service, Lord, that you come down and just touch us in a magnificent way. Give us the strength, Lord God. Give us the peace. Give us the wisdom, Lord God, and give us just that strength to go on and carry your, uh, carry your word and carry your presence to where we go. When we leave this church today, Lord, as we go out in the week, may we just bring the Holy Spirit with us to any room that we're in and bring it everywhere we go so that people see Jesus. We love you, Jesus, and uh, we're thankful that you've uh, selected us and that we're under your veil, Lord God, that we're under your care. In Jesus' name, I pray this prayer. Amen. Amen. And uh, we'll start with a few announcements coming up. Uh, again, big news. Put on your calendar, March 17th, March 24th. Uh, Pastor Brandon uh, Heskett and his uh, wife Veronica are going to come up here and candidate to see if they'll be the next senior pastors at Mount Zion Church. And uh, they've been here before. They have three children. And uh, actually, he served here twice, as we've talked about before. Served here twice as a youth pastor. An associate pastor, once under uh, Pastor Blaine uh, Corzine, and then once under uh, Pastor Eric Hansen. Just an update on Pastor Eric. Talked to him this week. He said his first church service went very well back there in Missouri, and everything's off to a nice start. So praise God for that. We're very happy to hear that. Um, so anyway, March 17th, March 24th, both services. He'll be doing the sermons, and then we'll be doing a uh, question and answer period with food afterwards downstairs. And then on March 24th, then we'll be taking a vote as a congregation amongst the voting membership of the congregation um, to determine if uh, we want to select him as our next pastor. And then, of course, we'll see if he, if we do put the vote, that if he wants to do it. <laughs> so anyway, we'll find about that. But the real thing to be on that is to be in prayer. Um, in other words, you know, we're not going by... Uh, the way the secular does it, or the way that the non-church world goes for selection, that we do have votes. Uh, we really want God's leaning on this, and we really want to make sure that the Lord's in on this. Your uh, board has gotten together and prayed on it, and therefore has uh, decided after prayer to uh, candidate uh, Pastor Brandon, but it's really about the membership, the vote, and so be in prayer on it. Again, we want God's decision on this. This is not, uh, not our decision. We want God to be making the decision on this. 
And we also want him speaking to Pastor Brandon to make sure that, uh, you know, speaking to Pastor Brandon to see if, uh, let him know that it's God's decision also. It's a big decision for him and his family if they want to do this also. So it's kind of a two-way street as far as that goes. Uh, Senior potluck this Thursday, right? And the theme of the food is Mexican, correct? Six o'clock downstairs. So, yeah, we'll do that. Um, also, we're doing Sunday morning sessions. We're having a little trouble getting the technology working, right, Jerry? But anyway, yeah, we got an option, too, for next week if we don't get that going. So we're, we're good. So we're, we love the plan B. We got plan B going good and strong as far as that goes. Uh, Wednesday night Bible study has been led by uh, Brother Dennis there, and that's uh, not this week, right? Not this week. We're taking a pass this week. Okay. But then we'll be doing it the following week. Oh, that's right. Valentine's Day. Anyway, yeah, I got that. All right. Okay. So Valentine's Day. All right. So, yeah. Valentine's Day. So we got that. And um, I'm going to bring up uh, Mr. Lionel right now. And Lionel is the chairman of our board right now. And... Uh, He's going to talk a little bit about some of our progress on the construction and specifically the parsonage as far as what's going on. And then after that, we'll get to worship. Good morning, everybody. I want to give you guys all an opportunity to get involved in getting the pastor's house ready. If you want to take a room and it needs curtains or, or blinds or whatever, if you want to, you know, it's, it's going to be very simple. For one, there's one, a couple wind, rooms with one window, a couple with just two windows. We just need them, people to help in. And this is not to be coming out of your tithe. This is just an offering to the new pastors. So if you want to get involved, see me or Brenda, please, because we can get those window coverings here, what you guys want to do, and get them up. They can mark it on their offering envelopes, whatever you want, uh, to give to it so we can at least have some more. So we're not keep on digging into the loan money and using that just to fix the house up, you know, for the, for the new pastors. So this is, this is why we're doing this. Um, you want them to come up now for worship? All these old people. <laughs> We're getting ready to enter into worship this morning. And I don't know about you, but on Sunday mornings, I always, and a lot of times on my mornings at home, I'll turn on praise and worship music just to get me into the heart of worship. Because it's kind of, you know, you can come in to church and you enter into worship, but what better way than to already be in worship when we come into the house of the Lord? So here we are to worship. Here we are to bow down. God is our source, and so lay all your burdens aside at the foot of Jesus, and let's worship him this morning. step down into darkness open my eyes let me see beauty that made this heart adore you 
life spent with you. Here I am to worship, here I am to bow down, here I am to say that you're my God. You're all together lovely, all together worthy, all together wonderful to me. Is who you are, is who you are, 
searching for answers far and wide but I know we're all searching for answers only you provide cause you know just what we need before we say a word you're a good good father section of that that says it draws me deeper still and over this last few weeks with what John and I have been experiencing I have felt God drawing me more into a deeper knowledge and acceptance of him as my good good father it's not in my timing he has something for us but I have to rely on him and in that I grow deeper with him and into trust with him so if you're struggling with something today and you just don't know you don't have an answer our good good father knows the beginning from the end and he knows exactly where we are in that timeline what is coming down the pike for us and he is there to draw us deeper still into his love Thank you, Jesus. 
is so great. He loves us so much.
We don't want the rocks crying out for us, do we? We want to be able to cry out and say, praise the Lord and his goodness, the goodness of God. He is faithful. He is faithful. Thank you, Jesus. Mercy never fails me all my days. I've been held in your hands from that I wake up until I lay my head. I will sing of the goodness of God. the goodness of God. I love your voice. You have led me through the fire. In darkest night, you are close like no other. I've known you as a father. I've known you as a friend. I have lived in the goodness of God. All my life you have been faithful. All my life you have been so, so good. With every breath that I am able. I will sing of the goodness of God. Your goodness is running after, it's running after me. Your goodness is running after, it's running after me. With my life laid down, I surrender now. I give you everything. Your goodness is running after, it's running after me. Your goodness is running after, it's running after me. Your goodness is running after, it's running after me. With my life laid down, I'm surrendered now. I give you everything. Your goodness is running after, it's running after me. All my life you have been faithful. All my life you have been so, so good. With every breath. sing of the goodness of God. 
you have been faithful. And all my life you have been so, so good. With every breath that I am able, I will sing of the goodness of God. I will sing of the goodness of God. Thank you, Jesus. Just remain in an attitude of worship as we do our offering and the rest. <laughs> Itayan de Bakila, the water Bashan, the Bakile Toroboki, Nekirora under the bay, Tashigorobo, Yadabashi, Latian de Beke, Bakshio, Chadabo, Tialarobo, the Bakile Tio, Yetarobo Yana. Oh, my little lamb, let me let you know that I love you. I love you with an everlasting love. I love you with a love that will not falter. I love you with a love that is everlasting and enduring through all the storms and all the sunny days. I bring you the flower of joy. I bring you the light of happiness. I bring to you hope and peace. For I love you. I love you, little one. Don't, don't forget that I love you. I love you with an everlasting love. And I shall meet your every need because I love you, and I care for you, and I watch over you, and I will keep you in perfect peace. Keep your heart stayed on me, for I love you. We thank Brother John for uh, being a vessel for the word. We thank you. And we thank you, Lord, for delivering that word to this church. So she's such an incredible word of encouragement and love and uh, eternal security and security in this life as being a believer. I'm going to call up uh, Brother Dennis now, and he's going to pray for the offering, and then he'll go into the, uh, go into the sermon. So, Brother Dennis, come on up. Brother. Bless you too. 
thing I'm on now, is because sometimes if you're sitting there before you preach, thoughts come to your mind that you want to share, and when you're leading worship, that can't happen. And so, at least not I, for me, because I'll forget immediately what I, what I learned. So, anyway, I was sitting there making a note about something I wanted to say, <laughs> and when, when I speak, I'll, I'll share that, but uh, that's why I wasn't ready to come up here just then, but uh, hey, thank you for your giving, thank you for your faithfulness to God during this time. If you remember uh, several weeks ago, I, when we were talking about uh, Proverbs chapter 3, there were two passage, parts of that passage that talked about giving. The first talked about giving to the Lord, and that's what we do in church. We give to the Lord. Our offerings are not to the pastor. They're not to the church board. They're not even to the church. They're to the Lord. So thank you for your faithfulness on that. And uh, the other is, is giving to those who are in need. You might see somebody on the street. You might see somebody in the grocery store. And you may not have much yourself, but the Lord speaks to your heart and says, help that person. So thank you for your faithfulness. Lord, we're grateful for the opportunity to share with you our, our love and our affection. Everything we own belongs to you. And you let us keep 90% of it, and I'm so grateful for that. But really, everything that we have is yours. And so this morning, we thank you for the privilege of giving back a portion of what you have provided for us to live on. So just I pray for your blessing upon the church, Lord, during this time of transition, Lord. I pray that you'll provide all of the needs and that everything that's given this morning, Lord, will bless those things, Lord. And we're just grateful for your blessing to us in Jesus' name. Amen. Don't forget what uh, Brother Lionel shared about uh, if you have something you can give to help with the pastor's parsonage, and uh, I'm sure they will appreciate that. So thank you so much. I, uh, I I'm really blessed by the uh, John and Sarah. You guys are doing such a great job, and Jerry. Uh, last week, Jerry did a great job in your absence. We enjoyed her worship leading last week, and. Uh, I enjoy getting to see all of you guys up here, and, and uh, there's a passage in Scripture in, uh, in uh, Ephesians chapter 4 I thought of when I, as I, you know, we've got Coulter over here working the device that uh, controls what you guys see up here, and, uh, and then we've got people leading worship up here, and people, some people taking the offering, you've got people that are working on the building, and, and everybody is encouraged to, to use your gifts for the glory of God and for the health of the church. And if you think that's not biblical, well, I've got a little scripture for you. And, and um, I learned this early on in ministry. Sometimes in our professional era, where preachers are professionals, we forget what God called preachers to do. And we think that because we pay them, their job is to do everything. I mean, you're not getting paid, right? He's getting paid. He should do it. Well, let me tell you what he's called to do. And he gave some, Ephesians chapter 4, verse 11, and he gave some as apostles, and some as prophets, some as evangelists, some as pastors and teachers. And this is what they're called to do. For the equipping of the saints, for the work of service, to the building up of the body of Christ. In other words, the pastor is here to equip you to do the works of service to build up the body of Christ. So the pastor 
is getting paid not to do everything in the church, but to train you to do everything in the church. Isn't that great? The pastor's job, if he's doing a good job, is going to be putting you to work and training you to do the work, helping you to know how he wants the worship led or how he wants the, the little device run. I, I don't even know what, iPad or a computer or whatever it is, whatever it is you know, that's uh, backwards I am. Uh, that's why I'm not running that thing. Uh, but he, his job is to help you do your job. So he's like the manager. He's like the boss. You know, not, he doesn't boss you around, but he's, he's the one that needs to help you to learn how to do what God has called and gifted you to do. And if all you, some of us, all we can do is sit, right? That's just, just getting here on Sunday morning is a challenge for some of us. But for those who can, he, preach it, brother. He, he's saying amen. He's, he's getting excited. He's saying amen already. I like that. It got him trained well. So bear with me just a second. I, uh, I woke up this morning sneezing, so forgive me while I... <laughs> the, um, the Japanese are interesting when it comes to blowing your nose, and this is something you won't learn anywhere else but here. Um, you know, in, in America, you know, a lot of us guys, we have traditionally carried uh, handkerchiefs in our back pocket or somewhere in our jacket pocket or something. And then when you blow your nose, you blow your nose in your handkerchief. And the Japanese would always ask me, why do you want to keep it? So it's always uh, paper tissue you carry around with you in Japan. So anyhow, that's the Japanese way. So um, I really, I was blessed by the song that you sang this morning, all of them, but uh, one especially got my attention. It says, it's your breath in our lungs, right? And so we pour out our praise to you only. And there's more in that song than that, but that, it's your breath that's saying to the Lord, it's your breath in our lungs. You know, even if you're really good at something, and we're going to watch, most of us are going to watch a football game this afternoon, where these guys are the best at what they do. There is nobody better in the world than these two teams. And... and <laughs> I got an amen out of her that time. <laughs> and, and, and sometimes we can get proud of ourselves because we do something really well. And sometimes you'll see these sports stars, they're really proud, they're arrogant. They're, and, and to be honest, when I see that, I get repulsed by it. Because you know what? They don't even have the ability to breathe without God's help. And it's important for us to remember that God gave us even our breath, our ability to walk, our ability to breathe. The ability to even exist comes from him. So all glory for anything we do. Yes, we train. Yes, we, we, we discipline ourselves. But it's, the praise goes to him, to you only, the song says. It's a, really a biblical song. It's a beautiful song. I love that. And uh, I... Um, I wanted to just explain something. I, I know most of you know this, but uh, Brother John gave a message in tongues and interpretation. And I know Pastor Eric went through this a, a few uh, uh, weeks ago, months ago, um, talking about the gifts of the Spirit. I just wanted to explain. The, the Bible gives, lists nine gifts of the Spirit. There are other gifts listed in Scripture, but the nine gifts of the Spirit. And one of them is the gift of tongues, and the other is the gift of interpretation. And there's a Scripture that says, 
pray that you can interpret if you, if you, you know, have a message in tongues. And so that's what that was, in case you're wondering what that was. That was an operation of what the Bible describes as gifts of the Spirit. And there are other gifts of the Spirit, and, and Pastor Eric did a great job of explaining all that, but I just wanted to refresh your memory. Um, I was thinking about the title of the message last week and this week. And this week I was thinking about the title, and, and I, was, I was thinking, after I talked with somebody, um, I realized that I probably should have titled it differently. And I, I want to tell you a story. You heard about the, about the, um, the um, uh, Shakespeare play that Shakespeare wrote, and he showed it to a friend of his, and he said, what do you think? And, he, and his friend said, you know, I really like this. It's, it's a great, great story. But you really should change the title from, uh, make it more simple for people to understand. And he said, you should change it from Julius, catch that girl before she gets away, to Julius, Caesar. <laughs> so I, I, I cut my title short to just what is a Christian from really what I should say is what, just what does a Christian look like? Because I, it, I wanted to, as, as I got to thinking about this, I want to make sure there's no misunderstanding about how to be a Christian. What I shared last week and what I'm going to share this week is not things that you have to do in order to be a Christian. I know I said that last week, but I want to really drive it home. And I wanted to bring to you, and I don't have these on the slides, but I want to bring to you just three very basic scriptures in the Bible that talk about the, basically how to be a Christian. The first one starts with Romans 3.23. We call it the Romans Road. You're welcome to make a note of these if later on, if you ever have a chance to talk to somebody, you need to explain the gospel in short. Number one is Romans 3.23. For all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. Guess what? Doesn't matter how good you think you are, you have failed, you have sinned. Everybody has fallen short of God's glory. You're a sinner. You may not like to think of yourself that way, but you're a sinner. The problem then is Romans 6.23. We deserve death. For the wages of sin is death. If you have sinned, you deserve death. I'm sorry. There are no white lies and big lies. They're all lies. Every sin makes means that you fall short of God's glory, no matter any imperfection, because God is absolutely perfect. God is absolutely good. Anything you do or think that's not good, you've fallen short of perfection. And the condemnation for that, or the judgment on that, is death. Romans 6, 23, for the wages of sin is death. Now, the, re the beautiful side of that, and the flip side of Romans 6, 23, is the second half of that is, but the free gift of God is eternal life, in Christ Jesus our Lord. So that's the beautiful side of all of this. Yes, you're sinners. Yes, you deserve death. But Jesus, if you believe in him, provides for you life, an eternal life. And then the final scripture is found in Romans chapter 10, verses 9 and 10. Because if you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. For with the heart one believes and is justified, and with the mouth one confesses and is saved. Believe in your heart and make that confession, Lord, I believe that God raised you from the dead. Forgive me of my sins, and God will save you. That 
is what a Christian is. So make no mistake, everything else I share this morning is talking about after you have been a, become a Christian. I just, I just, I, I was burdened with that this week that I don't want you to get confused about what it takes to be a Christian. This is what it takes to be a Christian. Christian. Confess with your mouth and believe in your heart that God raised Jesus from the dead. Bang. He saves you. Okay? Now understand, well, that's a whole other sermon. We won't go there. Stop that. Um, I did want to point out, I don't know if this is prophetic or not this morning, but um, the pastor that we're trying out here in a few weeks, his name is Brandon. Brandon? You know who the receiver for the 49ers is, the main guy? Brandon Ayuk. Okay, I'm just saying. <laughs> All right. <laughs> okay, I'm not being prophetic. I, if you're wearing red this morning, you could be wearing, cheering a, either team because they're both basically red. But uh, Hey, this week is Valentine's Day. Are you guys ready? Yeah, did you buy your sweet, sweetie some chocolates? Yeah. You know, in, in Japan, I love Valentine's Day. You know why? They've got it right in Japan. In Japan, the women buy the men chocolate. And I'm Japanese, guys, so come on, girls, bring it on, bring it on. Um, now, they have what's called White Day, where I think it's in March, like a month later, March 14th or something, where the men give the women white chocolate. But for Valentine's Day, you need to be bringing me chocolate, just saying. And uh, I was reading something this morning, and I, th I thought, I've got to read these to you guys. So, love is like, according to elementary school kids, John, age nine, like an avalanche where you have to run for your life. <laughs> Glenn, age seven, says... If falling in love is anything like learning how to spell, I don't want to do it. It takes too long. <laughs> so on the role of beauty and handsomeness in love, if you want to be loved by somebody who isn't already in your family, it doesn't hurt to be beautiful. <laughs> that was Anita, age 8. And Brian, age 7, says, It isn't always just how you look. Look at me. I'm handsome like anything, and I haven't got anybody to marry me yet. <laughs> So how do people in love typically behave? Arnold, age 10, says, mushy, like puppy dogs, except puppy dogs don't wag their tails nearly as much. <laughs> and then Sherm, age 8, all, um, all of a sudden the people get movies fever so they can sit together in the dark. <laughs> uh, and then uh, love is foolish, Floyd, age 9. Love is foolish, but I still might try it sometime. <laughs> And then Dave, age eight, says, uh, love will find you even if you are trying to hide from it. I've been trying to hide from it since I was five, but the girls keep finding me. <laughs> uh, Regina, age 10, I'm not rushing into being in love. I'm finding fourth grade hard enough. <laughs> and then uh, some surefire ways to make a person fall in love with you. Dell, age six, tell them that you own a whole bunch of candy stores. <laughs> And Camille, age nine, says, shake your hips and hope for the best. <laughs> uh, Manuel, age eight, says, yell out that you love them at the top of your lungs and don't worry if their parents are right there. <laughs> uh, and then finally, Bart, age nine, says, one way is to take the girl out to eat. Make sure it's something she likes to eat. French fries usually works for me. 
Oh boy. So I, I, I decided that this week I was going to read to you a poem that my father, uh, he claims that he wrote. Um, my, my parents were pastors in Alaska for a number of years. And, um, and so uh, he wrote a, a poem entitled The Eskimo Courtship. And uh, so here, we, here goes. Cool night in June, bright stars, full moon. On trail with sled, pretty girl, dogs, well fed. Me say me love, she coo like dove. Me smart and cold think fast, never let great chance pass. She smile and say I love, great fun. Dogs howl, run, run, run. I brave, get hitched, me say. She quickly agree, okay. Time pass, we see great sights. Big sky, northern lights. Already another night in June. Bright stars, dog sled, full moon. Wedding bells, ring, ring, honeymoon. Everything happened now. Eskimo got wife, settled down to muktuk, that's whale blubber, and married life. So soon. Another night in June. Northern lights, big moon. Me ain't happy no more. I carry baby, walk floor. Wife mad, she play boss. Get angry, upset, cross. Life now one big spat. Nagging wife, crying brat. Eskimo realize at last, dog sled, happy trail all pass. Me woo woo, much too fast. <laughs> Oh, boy. Now, how do we transition over into the message this morning after that? I don't know. Uh, what is a Christian? What does a Christian look like? So last week, we, we looked at Acts 11.26. Um, the whole passage there pre preceding that as well. And 26 says, the di disciples were first called Christian at Antioch. Okay? The disciples were called Christian first at Antioch. And we asked, what is a Christian? Basically, we discussed the fact that the early Christians were labeled that way because they chose to live holy lives in a society that wasn't holy and that didn't respect holiness. And we compared a little bit that society with our own because, to be honest, um, I find it fascinating sometimes that um, Christians sometimes are viewed as immoral because we hold to our morality. And what is biblical morality is viewed as immorality because it's not considerate and accepting of things that our Bible addresses as sin. So the Christians, they were called Christians for several different reasons, and I'll just, I'm not going to regurgitate the whole thing, but number one, they were more loyal to Christ than both their homeland and the local culture. So they refused to follow the belief system of the local culture, but rather they chose to follow the teachings of Christ. And it was changing the city of Antioch. They were more loyal to Christ than their own culture. I have dealt for 40 years with two different cultures, the Japanese culture and the American culture. And I've generally said, I, I, I often say that culture is neutral. But some culture is not neutral. If killing your children, throwing them into the fire, is a part of your culture, that's an evil part of your culture, and it needs to be eliminated. Okay? So there are some, things, some cultural things that can be viewed as not acceptable as believers. And that's the way they, accept, they understood that. Secondly, they did not allow sin to control them. 
okay? Um, whether, they, whether that be sexual immorality or idolatry, greed, drunkenness, lying, cheating, etc., they didn't accept the immorality of their generation as being okay for them. Be careful, folks. Those of us who are older, sometimes we're a little more stubborn, but when you're younger, you're constantly bombarded with this stuff about what's good and what's right. And, and if you listen to what these dinglings will tell you, and I don't care if it's Taylor Swift with her billion dollar and, and incredible, now I love, by the way, I love the fact that Taylor Swift is, is a fan of the NFL now because all these people that didn't know what a football looked like are now fans of the NFL. So I, I'm thrilled with that. But, but you know what? I don't care what her politics are. I don't care what she believes about God. None of that matters to me. And none of that should matter to you. What your teachers tell you about God and morality shouldn't matter to you. Because you know what? The Bible gives you everything you need to know about God and morality. So let that be your teach, you know, what, what teaches you. So you, um, if, the, if the culture around you says that it's okay to, to live with somebody who isn't your spouse, guess what? It's not true. Follow the word of God. Don't allow sin that the culture says is okay to control your life. It's not okay. And then thirdly, they lived out their faith every day of the week, not just on Sundays. They didn't have just a Sunday faith. Church is the easiest place to be a Christian. If you can't be a Christian in church, you probably aren't a very good Christian outside of church. Because we dress nice, we, we smile, we hide the hurt and the pain and the ugliness behind our clothes and the appearance this is the place where we come and, and we worship the Lord and we all, you know what, you guys look so good with your hands in the air or with your eyes closed and you're just enjoying the presence of the Lord. You look almost saintly, everybody but Lionel. You look so good when you're in church, but when someone crosses you on the freeway and cuts you off, that's when your faith gets challenged. I run into idiots like that all the time. Those evil people. But that's when you find out sometimes the evil is within you, right? It's not always in the other guy. Sometimes it comes out of you. And, and then that's when you find out, okay, I didn't do that well. I, I need to work on that. And you train yourself to, to follow Christ more faithfully. And, and it's between, between the bookends that you live your life, and that's where your faith needs to shine. And these people in Antioch, that's the way they live their life. Not just on Sundays or Saturdays in those days when they would gather together. And then they began to meet on Sundays, the first day of the week. And that's why we, we continue to follow that. But living a holy life is so important for us as Christians. But that's not all that's important. <coughs> so this morning, I want to discuss with you and finish the message of just what is a Christian. First John, we're going to go to First John this morning. First John deals with two aspects of a Christian's life, which John claims you cannot live without. Okay, and so throughout First John, he goes on to a point. And by the way, on Wednesday nights, we're studying the book of First, Second, and Third John. Um, this week, we will uh, take time to be with our sweethearts, or just go eat some chocolate, or whatever you want to do on Wednesday night, but we'll be back the following Wednesday night. We didn't have it last Wednesday because of the snow. It hit and uh, shut, shut the roads down. Um, but uh, 1 John is a fascinating book, 
And I'm enjoying it. I hope those of you who are attending are enjoying that too. It's, it's, it's a great time. We discuss. We don't just lecture. And uh, I value your thoughts and your opinions as we walk through this together. But he goes on in 1 John to point out two things that a Christian um, will without question do if he is truly saved. The first one up on the screen, obey. A Christian will keep God's commandments. A Christian Christian will live righteously. Okay? That's the first thing. He will live righteous. He will love righteousness. Right? A Christian, someone who has been saved by Jesus Christ, will crave righteousness. I guess that's the best way to put it. He will begin to crave righteousness. 1 John chapter 2, verse 3, reads this way. The one... By this we know that we have come to know him, if we keep his commandments. You know, if John tells Sarah, Sarah, I love you, and then just treats her like a dog all week long, and then turns around and says, Sarah, I love you, tell me if she thinks she's going to be loved. Now, there's got to be something in your actions that reflect your love. The Bible teaches us that if we love God, we will obey him. Okay? If we truly love him, the evidence will be in our actions. And I'm not saying, John, you don't, don't worry, you don't have to be perfect. I'm sure Sarah doesn't expect you to be perfect. She's known you long enough. No, that's not possible. Uh, and I'm not, I'm not picking on John. It's not possible for any of us, right? And so the beautiful thing about loving someone is that, you know, you don't expect them to be perfect, and, and so you're okay when they blow it. But, but there's got to be that, you know, a regular connection where, where they're showing their affection in more than just their words. Right? If it's just words, then it's meaningless. It's the same way with God. You can stand here in church on Sunday morning and worship him. Jesus, I love you. God, I love you. I just, oh, I adore you. We sing all these beautiful songs of worship to God. And then we walk out the door and ignore him for a week. Then guess what? He's not feeling too loved. In fact, he says that if you do that, you don't really love him. So by this we know that we have come to know him if we keep his commandments. The second point is you will love your brother. The first, if you, if you are truly saved, you will obey the Lord. You'll live righteous. You will crave righteousness. The second one is you will love your brother. 1 John chapter 2, verse 10 says, The one who loves his brother abides in the light, and there is no cause for stumbling in him. So basically, you live holy and love others. Okay? That's what they're saying. You live holy and love others. Those are the two things. If you are a Christian, those are the two things that are going to start exuding from you. It's going to be a natural or a supernatural process. He goes so far as to say that if you're living a life of unrestricted sin, or if you have no love in your heart whatsoever, then you may not even be saved. I'm not saying that. He said that. If you're saved, you will not, and this is is our next study, guys, so come, come, uh, not this Wednesday night, the Wednesday following. You cannot live unrestricted sin and be a believer. he, He says it in the Bible. I didn't, I didn't come up with that. So 1 John 3 verse 10 reads like this. By this the children of God and the children of the devil are obvious. Anyone who does not 
practice righteousness is not of God, nor the one who does not love his brother. Doesn't make it any, can't make it any clearer than that. By this, the children of God and the children of the devil are obvious. Anyone who does not practice righteousness is not of God, nor the one who does not love his brother. These are the two, these really should be the two tenets of our faith. Live right and love your brother. Live holy and love others. These are the two things that if you're a believer in Christ, if he has saved you, if he has transformed you from the inside out, then these things are going to start developing in your life. Now, um, in verse 9 now, he explains why this strong straight statement is too, true. Is true. And it's because God's seed lives in us. And this is important because you can sit there and try to live righteous and try to love your brother all, all day long, but you're going to run into problems because you don't have it in yourself to do it. But verse, verse 9 reads like this. No one who is born of God practices sin because his seed, God's seed, abides in him. And he cannot sin because he is born of God. Now, first of all, let me ask, what is his seed? It's God's nature. It's his genes. It's God's DNA. That's what it's saying. It's just like your father's seed creates you inside of your mother, right? He passes on his DNA, and she passes on her DNA, and you get a conglomeration of the two. Well, God's seed is inside of you, it says, when you have accepted Christ as your Savior. And... Uh, it's the same reason that my kids look, at, look like me. God bless them. And you know what? They'd have to have an awful lot of, of uh, surgery to eliminate them looking like me. And even then, it's in their eyes. So they'd have to replace every part of them. Sometimes it's in the way they walk. Their it could be in their hips even. It could be in their feet. Their feet might look like my feet. They're, you know, they're, they're going to look like their mother, and they're going to look like me. They're gonna, it's that conglomeration, because my DNA is inside of them. God's DNA is inside of you, and it starts making you look like him. So this isn't something, understand, this isn't something that you can just will yourself to be more righteous and more loving. This is something that God says, you know what, if you're a believer, this just naturally starts forming inside of you. You get changed because he changes you from the inside. Now, to the sin question. It says, uh, um, he cannot sin. Right? Verse 9, back to verse 9. No one who's born of God practices sin. And then it says, he cannot sin. I'm so glad to know Bob is perfect and he never sinned. Aren't you? You know, Lionel, Jerry, Hugh, all the board members, they're just sinless. Eva will vouch for that, right? Hugh, he's sinless. <laughs> okay, so what does it mean? Surely it doesn't mean that he, Bob never has a bad thought, that he doesn't wish evil on somebody, or, or surely it doesn't mean that Hugh is never angry, or that, you know, Lionel doesn't tell bad jokes. It, it, surely it doesn't mean any of that, right? So what does it mean? He's not saying that you will never sin. And by the way, this is borne out in the Greek of the text, which I'm not going to bore you with this morning. But, and it doesn't even mean that you may not struggle for a long time with the same sin. The fact of the matter is, most of us have our own weaknesses, and some of us are going to go to our grave fighting 
the very thing that tempts us. You may struggle with lust. You may struggle with anger. You may struggle with your love of food. You, you, you may struggle with a desire for, you know, triple um, A, <laughs> Alcoholics Anonymous, AA. You know, they, 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 they I don't know. I've never, I've never actually personally been to an AA meeting, but I've heard that they, they start out by saying, I'm an alcoholic. Well, the reason they do that is because they know, there's, there's always this, they never want to go back there. And so they recognize their weakness and they say, I'm not going to, and, and so they don't ever take, you know, the, the, the battle is to never go, but there's a constant battle that you'll struggle with, struggle with. Everybody faces them. You may not be an AA, but you may have other struggles that no one else will see. There's inside of you this battle that rages. Paul talked about it in Romans 7. He said, you know, what I want to do, I don't do. What I, what I don't want to do, I wind up doing. He described my life. And he described all of our struggles. And so when it says that you will never sin, it's talking about practicing sin. It's talking about literally giving yourself over to a life of unrighteousness. So you struggle with lust, and so all you do is just say, oh, I give up. Let's just do this thing. And then you just commit to a life of improper relationships. And some people do that. And he's saying that if you're a Christian, you can't do that. It is not possible for you to just totally walk away from righteousness. It doesn't mean you're perfect, and it doesn't mean you never struggle. You may have a ferocious temper, and you'll struggle with that, and you may struggle with that for your entire life, but you'll never stop struggling with it. It's when you stop struggling with it, and you just say, I give in. Okay. And every time somebody does something, you're, and I meet some of those people. I bet Bob meets some of those people where he works, you know. And, and we all do from time to time. Somebody, that they just blow up in your face. They're driving by. They flip you off, and you go, what did I do? Well, they had a short fuse. That's just them. They, it was their problem, not yours. Even if you did something wrong, it, you know, they just exploded. They couldn't control themselves. And there are people, we, we all struggle with different things, but we, we just don't stop struggling. We continually, the desire within us, what God puts in us, when he puts his seed in us, is that desire to be righteous. It's the desire to live righteous. And if you don't have a desire to live righteous, he's saying, then my seed ain't there. If you don't look anything like me, you ain't mine. <laughs> you know? And so um, what, is he, what he is saying is that if you have been saved, if you have been transformed by the saving blood of Jesus, then the holy and loving nature of God now lives inside you. And because of that, there will be several things that you'll do. Number one, it'll drive you toward holy living. Okay? It drives you toward holy living. God's DNA will push you towards holy living. That's what he's saying. If I'm inside of you, I'm holy. And that inside part of you is saying, I want to be holy too. It drives you towards holy living. It'll cause you to feel grief when you sin. Somebody who feels no grief over their sin, either their conscience hasn't, because sometimes the Holy Spirit will work on you a little at a time. He doesn't tell you everything that's wrong with you all at once, which is really nice, right? Because that would leave you pretty depressed. Now, he, he reveals these things to you one at a time, but when you sin... And he has made you aware that that's wrong for you, then you're then if he's inside of you, you're going to say, "Oh, I I wish I hadn't have done that. Oh, I said that. I wish I hadn't have said. I, oh man, I called Andrew a bad name to his, you know, to Bob or something. You know, I'm just I didn't really Andrew, don't worry. 
<laughs> but, you know, you'll, you'll, you'll think about, oh, no, I shouldn't have said that. Or, oh, man, I just, oh, I shouldn't have looked over there. Or, or you know, whatever it is that the Holy Spirit is dealing with you, with the sin that you struggle with, it's going to cause you to be grieved by the fact that you gave in to that. Or that you just slipped up. And then it's going to, it will never release you to a life of disobedience without that nagging conviction to turn around and do right. You ever had that where you did something, you knew it, you realized it maybe later on, and, and it just nags at you because you want to make it right. You just have this desire inside of you to make it right. That's the Holy Spirit that lives inside of you, the DNA of God saying, make it right. He won't allow you just to linger on in a life of disobedience. Um, one word of caution. Some people don't have much shame. Just because they have no shame does not mean that the actions are okay. If the Bible says it's a sin, it's a sin. Whether you feel bad about it or not doesn't, doesn't change whether it's a sin or not. You may not be aware and that's why it's so important, by the way, to read your Bible. Because sometimes I'll be reading my Bible and the Holy Spirit will convict me. I'll be reading it and go, oh, that's me. Oh, I'm acting like King David now, but not in a good way. <laughs> you know? and the, the Bible will convict you if you'll read it and find out what the Bible says. So just because society says something is okay doesn't make it okay, even though they have no shame attached to it. However, if you are a child of God, holiness is not the only thing that his, neighbor, that his nature compels us to. He's going to compel us to righteousness. He's going to compel us to, to, to living right and living good. He's also, by the way, your love for righteousness, you're going to crave righteousness, not just within your own life, but you're going to want to see righteousness passed down in the courts. So you don't want someone convicted of a crime that they didn't do, even if you don't like the person. You want fairness. You want justice. There's no way that you can see injustice in the world and say, ah, they deserve that, if they didn't really deserve it. Even jerks deserve a fair trial, right? So you may not like this president or that president, but you don't want him condemned for something he didn't do. do. Um, you, what you want is justice. You're going to crave justice in our courts. I, I served on a, uh, on a very serious trial here in Amador County a few months ago. And um, it, it was felony level. Um, it was a rape trial. And, I, and you know, um, I was impressed. The judge was fair. He was right. He was good. He was a good man. You could tell he wanted the right outcome of the trial. And he helped the jury come to the outcome. That's what you like that when that happens. If I'd have gotten a hold of a judge that was unfair in his treatment to one side or the other, I would have been repulsed by that. Because the Jesus inside of me craves righteousness, not just in my own life, but in society as well. So if Jesus in you will actually help you to crave um, justice in society. So if you have been saved, and again, transformed by the saving blood of Jesus, the holy and loving nature of God now lives inside of you. And because of that, it will do the following things. Compel you to love others, even when there's no outward reason for it. The God's DNA inside of you will cause you to love people inexplicably. 
there won't be any, they're not your child, they're not your sister or your brother's child, you're not related to them in any way, and you may not even like them or their lifestyle, but somehow God will turn on a little switch inside of you and say, love that person, and you will love them. It compels you to love others. It'll cause you to act on behalf of people in need. That love is compelling. And it's not just a feeling, right? Those of you who've been married for more than a month understand that love is not just a feeling, it's a commitment. It's an action. Love is a verb, we always say, right? So when you love somebody, it'll compel you to do something about it. Now, maybe you can't do anything about it, but if you can, it'll move you in that direction. If you're sitting on a wad of cash and some... You know, I, I actually had just gone to the bank and I had a bunch of money in my pocket and I saw this dear lady standing I don't give to every homeless person I see, but she was standing there with a little kid beside her and, and, and I just thought, I waved her up and I gave her a 20 and, and, she, and she just almost cried. You know, just, and there's gonna, I don't do that all the time, but I felt compelled by the Holy Spirit to do that that day. I've, you know, I, it's not uncommon for me to do something like that, but... I, the Holy Spirit inside of you will compel you to act. And then it'll cause you to want to help your brother and sister in Christ. Even if they've never helped you. Think about it. You know, we don't all help each other. You know, we, sometimes we just don't. You know, we don't, maybe we're not aware or maybe we haven't been impressed to go help somebody. But when you find out, whether they've helped you or not, that, that they're in need, the love of Christ within you, the DNA of Christ will, will stir within you this desire to help, if you can. And then it'll make you feel awful, awful when you express or experience strong negative feelings towards others. So you start to hate somebody, right? You, you just, oh man, alive. Nolani just, she drives me crazy. I can't believe she's even a Christian. And you start feeling these things. Nolani, I'm just joking, I hope you know. Uh, uh, sort of. No, I really am. Uh, yeah, you, you know, I picked her because she's such a saint. <laughs> but, 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 I mean, you might start to dislike somebody. And then you, you realize, wait a minute, that's not the love of Christ in me. That's not the love of God coming out of me. And, we can, and, and then the Holy Spirit begins to check us. And the DNA of Christ within us says, no, 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 dude. We don't, we don't go there. That's not proper. It's not right. So, the passage in 1 John chapter 4, verses 7 through 12, it's the God is love passage, right? Beloved, let us love one another, for love is of God. I better wait until the, this comes up on the screen here. That way you guys can read along with me. There we go. So, Beloved, let us love one another, for love is from God, and everyone who loves is born of God and knows God. The one who does not love doesn't know God, for God is love. That's the passage everybody's most familiar with. God is love. Verse 9, by this the love of God was manifest in us that God, in us that God has sent his only begotten Son into the world so that we might live through him. In this is love. Not that we loved God, but that he loved us and sent his son to be the propitiation for our sins. He was the sacrifice. He paid the price so you don't have to. That's the propitiation for our sins. Beloved, if God is so loved us, we all also ought to love one another. 
I, I run into different types of believers. And um, sometimes because of your personality or sometimes because of your own personal experiences in life, we tend toward one or the other. We tend towards righteousness, truth. I, I, I call them the prophets and the pastors. The prophets want the truth at any expense. And the pastors, they just want to love people. They care about people. And, and they just love, 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 love. The prophets are truth, 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 truth. And uh, sometimes the two don't get along. But we can sometimes focus so much on the holy living that we can stop loving people. Neither should we turn away from holy living and claim that because God is love, it isn't necessary to hold to the truth. We have this difficult balance. A zeal for the truth, for example, if it's not tempered by love and compassion, it can cause us to become arrogant, harsh, and cold. Truth-tellers sometimes are hard to get along with. They're a little prickly, right? I'm going to touch on one political question this morning. And I hope you'll hear me. And don't say amen to anything I say because you might be sorry afterwards. Okay, so just hold back until you hear the whole thing. I'm going to tell you my philosophy about illegal aliens. The illegal residents of this country. Those who've come across the border improperly. Open borders is a danger to our country because there are so many who want to destroy our way of life. So politically, I want our southern and northern borders secure. That's what I believe. I think we should know who's coming into our country because there are so many terrorists around the world that would like to blow things up in, in our country. But as a Christian, what do I do with the non-terrorists and, and the non-child traffickers and the non-gang members who cross the line with evil intent? What do I do with them? I reach out to them with the love of Christ. Now, I still believe in, in borders that are under our control. And I believe that you, I, I think I saw on Lionel's Facebook, uh, uh, a wall doesn't mean we keep everybody out. It just says use the door, right? And so I believe that. But for those who snuck in anyhow, and if, I've thought about this a lot, by the way. If I were in their position and I thought I could leave a very poor nation and make a way for my children to have a future, I'd probably sneak across the border too if I knew it was open. So, you know, I understand where they're coming from. Now, I don't like the other ones, the terrorists and the gang members and the child traffickers. As far as I'm concerned, you can shoot them at the... No, I better not say that. Anyhow, um, I don't like evil. I really don't. I, I hate people who would take a child and use them for sex. It just infuriates me. Right? So I have no, pa no, com no compassion for those. Although I need to learn to have some compassion, you know, because God loves them too, and he wants them to be saved. Now, he'll judge them pretty harshly, but, uh, but if they'll turn to Christ, praise the Lord for that. Um, but I reach out to them with the love of Christ. You see, you can love truth and still love people 
And you have to find a balance there where you can stand for what you stand for, but you still love people who themselves are in a different situation. You may not even approve of their situation. So be careful not to allow your love for the rule of law to eliminate your love for people. This is a very important dissection for Christians. We need to have a passion for truth to have a passion for righteousness, to have a love for the law, at the same time, have a love for the people who struggle, whether they've broken the law or not. And so there's this balance. Love and truth must work in tandem with each other. So what does John mean when he says God is love? Verse 8. God's character is one of love. God's character is one of love. Everything he does, everything God does, is founded in love. It's grounded in love. So what was his example of love to us? He loved us so much that he gave his only begotten son to die on the cross. That's interesting. 1 John chapter 3.16 is not John 3.16 that you're familiar with. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son that anyone who believes in him would not perish but have everlasting life, but it's still pretty good scripture. First John 3, 16 through 18 says, We know love by this, that he laid down his life for us, and we ought to lay down our lives for the brethren. But whoever has the world's goods and sees his brother in need and closes his heart against him, how does the love of God abide in him? Little children, let us not love with word or with tongue, but in deed and truth. So when we talk about God is love, he's the perfect example of someone who loves and shows his love with action. So your love will be evident because you take action. I, um, I heard a story years ago now, and I may not tell it right if you've ever heard this story, but, uh, uh, and I'm going to kind of cut it short because it's got a, a, a long intro, but uh, there was a cruise ship um, full of people that had run aground, I think it was off the English British shore, uh, years ago. And, and the people were, the boat was sinking, and, and so they called in some of the fishing, fishing boats in the area to come out and, and rescue as many people as they could. And um, avoiding most of the story, there was one fisherman that was quoted as he had a small fishing boat. He saved as many as he could. And he was quoted as saying, oh, for a bigger boat. Our heart for people should say, oh, for a bigger boat. Oh, for more capacity to love more, to love better. Oh, if only I had the ability, the finances, the, the opportunity to share God's love with other people. Oh, for a bigger boat. Let that be our heart's cry. That is the heart's cry of our Lord. So in what practical way can you show love to a brother or a sister in Christ? Number one, you put them first. So like God, we love others when we do something for them, before they've done anything for us. The Bible says that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. So you put others first. Um, secondly, when we're able, we help others, each other in a practical way. Right? You don't just pray for them. You help them out. You do something practical for them. If, you know what? If, if they don't have anything to eat, you don't just say, hey, I'm praying for you when you've got a 20 in your pocket. 
You know, I'm sorry, but you know, I'll I, I never forget one time I, some, uh, some guy, I, I was standing talking to a, a, another pastor, and he, he had his beautiful fifth wheel being pulled behind this ritzy truck and everything, and, and he was actually living in his fifth wheel, so it's not like, his, you know, he, you know I, I don't know how was, if he was wealthy or not, but he was driving a nice rig, and, and this guy comes up to him and starts asking him for gas money. And I, I'll be honest with you. When the guy came up to this pastor, I was so glad he went to him and not me. I was like, oh, good. Whew. I don't have to tell him no. He can tell him no. And he did. And as I watched this pastor squirm out from underneath this guy's request for gas money, I was ashamed. I wasn't ashamed of my pastor friend. I was ashamed of me. Because I realized I was just so glad that I wasn't the one having to squirm. And the Lord convicted me of my attitude. And I didn't have any money. And I told him, I said, you know what, I don't have any money, but if it was my car, I would use my credit card to go fill it up with gas. Come on, let's go. And I went over and I filled his car up with gas. Your love is going to compel you to do something when you can. And you may not be able to explain it, and you may not be able to justify it. The guy may be a jerk, he may be a drug addict, there's no telling. Uh, but the love of Christ will cause you to act. It may be your sister in Christ, your brother in Christ. It'll, it'll, it'll compel you to do something, not just to say, I'm praying for you. But if you're not able to help them, love of God will cause you to pray for them. Praying for them is a great thing to do. So pray for them. One of the greatest ways that we can show God's love is to accept the other person just as they are. Right? They don't have to change to receive your love. They don't have to be perfect before you love them. You're not perfect and God loves you. So why put a stipulation on, that, on your love before you, before you show love for them? Um, I'll never forget, I, I, I heard, uh, uh, I'm not sure if he was a pastor or an elder in the church. He was telling a story about how he was down at the restaurant and this waitress was just having a bad day. She was just, you know, she was a grumpy waitress. And he, he said she was a bad waitress. She was, and, and she was just, you know, he could, and he looked at her and he realized, and I was thinking, oh yeah, here comes a bad tip. And he said, you know what? Next time she came, I asked her, I said, you look like you're having a hard day. Can I pray for you? And the woman just began to weep. Her husband had just left her. She's a single mom. She was having a bad life. And his reach to her when she was a bad waitress, she was probably a great waitress, but she was having a bad day. And his sensitivity, the Holy Spirit inside of him, the DNA of Christ in him said, pray for this woman. So there's going to be times when you just have to Accept the other person as they are. They may be grumpy. They may be a jerk. And yet the Lord may speak to you to do something kind to them. And then finally show them grace. You know, as Christians, we all need God's grace. We're here because of his grace, not because you got your life straightened out. If your life is straightened out, he straightened it out for you. He helped you. His grace is the reason that you're going to heaven. Sadly, we can be so poor at showing each other the same grace that God showed us. We receive such grace, but graciousness is on a short leash sometimes. 
be gracious to others. So may we as a church show both sides of this Christian life. We have to hold to the truth of the Bible. Holy living has to be our standard. We never stop striving to do right. We never stop craving righteousness, both in ourselves and in our community and in our society. At the same time, we have to be forgiving, loving, and kind to our brothers and sisters in Christ first and foremost, as well as to others. But equally, these two things are important. They're equally important. He died for you. He cares about you. He cares about what happens to you. There's a story that I read um, about two trains that collided. And the engineer of one of the trains was trapped and couldn't move his legs, and there was a fire starting as the emergency rescue team arrived to help. And near to the engineer was a man who was lying in danger, but totally unconscious. And the engineer tried to help him despite his own pain, but his legs were stuck and he couldn't move. And so when the rescue team came, they started to help the engineer, but he demanded that they help this other man first. When the engineer was finally freed, they found that his legs had been being burned. He was severely burned while he was making sure that this other man was rescued. This is one example of love. The engineer was willing to give his own life so that the other man might live. I don't know that I would have the strength or the, or the love to do what this engineer did, but it's in me because Christ's DNA is in me, and it will come out of you. So what is a Christian? If you're a Christian, you're going to find, and then you want to facilitate the love for justice and the love for people, the, the, the commitment to a holy life, and the commitment to loving your brother. These are two things that are inside of you. And little by little, you're going to begin looking like Jesus. You're going to, little by little, begin craving more and more the righteous living. and The sin that you struggle with, you're going to become more and more intolerant of that sin in your own life. You're, little by little, you're going to find the things that the devil loves to glorify less appealing. Or at least you're going to be so upset with it that you're just going to, you're not going to want anything to do with it. Because the holiness that is born within you through the seed of Christ will drive you towards holiness. And it will also drive you towards loving your brother, loving your sister. It may be some guy down at the, down at the pumps that you have to show Christ's love to, but you'll, you'll sense that within you because his DNA drives that, and you begin to look like Jesus. I'll close with 1 Corinthians chapter 13, verses 4 through 8, and then finally verse 13. If I speak in the tongues of men or of angels, but do not have love, I am only a resounding gong or a clanging cymbal. If I have the gift of prophecy and can fathom all mysteries and all knowledge, and if I have a faith that can move mountains, but do not have love, I am nothing. If I give all I possess to the poor and give over my body to hardship that I may boast, but I don't have love, I gain nothing. Love is patient. Love is kind. It does not envy. It does not boast. It is not proud. 
It does not dishonor others. It is not self-seeking. It is not easily angered. It keeps no record of wrongs. Love does not delight in evil, but rejoices with the truth. It always loves, or it always protects, always trusts, always hopes, always perseveres. Love never fails. And then verse 13, and now these three remain, faith, hope, and love, but the greatest of these is love. Faith, hope, and love, but the greatest of these is love. God is love, 1 John chapter 4 said. One of the most famous passages in Scripture, God is love. Yes, God is truth. God is holy. In fact, his holiness is espoused in Scripture far more than his love. Did you know that? Even in the New Testament, his holiness when they gather around the throne, they're going to be singing, Holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty. But his holiness is stirred up within him, and it comes out being countered by his love. His holiness is what drove Christ to the cross. But so is his love. Christ's death on the cross was required because God was holy and he had to have a payment made for our sins. But his love for us was so great that he said, but I'm not going to make you pay that price. I'm going to pay it myself. Be holy. Live holy. And love with all your heart. Stand with me this morning. What is a Christian? A Christian loves righteousness, and loves people. A Christian is holy. A Christian is loving. A Christian isn't just a Christian on Sundays. A Christian is not one who is influenced by his culture. A Christian is one who has given his faith to Christ. He believes that God raised him from the dead, and he confesses his own sins before God. God and before man. And then, when God places his seed in him, in you, in me, it comes out. The fruit of the Spirit is not something that you, uh, uh, oh, I'm going to try hard, I'm going to try hard, and I'm going to bear fruit. No, the tree doesn't try hard. It just has the fruit within it. God's love comes out from you because it's inside of you. And it's placed there through the seed of Christ. Father, we are grateful this morning. We're so grateful that we can be, call ourselves Christians because you have placed your seed inside of us. Every good thing, Lord, you, even our breath, the breath that we breathe comes from you, Lord. And so you have placed every good thing inside of us when you put your seed there. The holiness and the love of our Father will come out of us because it's inside of us. It was placed there by you, Lord. Lord, sometimes we struggle with our sins and our failures, and, and that struggle is placed there because of the holy desire that you have placed in our hearts, Lord. So help us, Lord, to live right. Lord, help us to, to in, enjoy the righteousness that you draw us towards. There's a, there is a joy to living righteous. It's holy, it's pure, it's right, it's good. 
the same time, Lord, help us to be forgiving and kind and thoughtful, even, Lord, to those who don't live right, even to others who are in, the, in their worst moment, perhaps. Maybe they've had a hard time in life, or maybe they're just not really great people. You'll help us to show them love. Lord, help us to show forth the love and the holy passion that we get from you to each other and to the world. In Jesus' name, amen. It's Super Bowl Sunday, y'all. And uh, I know you're all cheering for the Chiefs to win this morning. Uh, but uh, we'll see. Uh, I cheer for the Christians on each team, to be honest. And I hope they all do well. But uh, God bless you. And uh, we will see you next Sunday.